Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, and the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writer's Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! We're doing it. Steven Shabosky's here. Uh, Steven has a great new movie called Wonder that is coming out November 17th. Tell me about John Malkovich. <laughs> uh, okay, so here, I'm jumping around a little bit, but... That's but how we do it. As some people may or may not know, I, I wrote a novel called The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and I adapted it. I wrote the screenplay and directed it. And John Malkovich was one of the producers, and obviously everyone knows him as a great actor. He came for the first week, week and a half of filming, and at the very end, he watched me work, and then he said, listen, he pulled me aside at this dinner, his final dinner, the Last Supper, as it were. He said, I love your script because it has real heart. And because you have real heart, you don't need sentiment. So direct this movie like a guy from Pittsburgh. Always get the tough take. That was his mm. advice to me. Because, you know, it, people think of him as this very, you know, uh, almost ethereal European guy. No, he's from like a, like a little town in Illinois. He was a football player. He was like an ass kicker. That's so funny. Yeah, so, so when he saw me, and because we filmed it in my hometown of Pittsburgh, he just encouraged me to fight against the sentiment with every fiber mm. of my being. And what I found was, and I took that advice to heart, and it formed one of the true building blocks of the entire tone I'm going for that I did for Perks and that I'm now trying to do for Wonder. This is a, something specifically I wanted to ask you about, yes. which I, I thought was really interesting in both Perks and Wonder. Um, and I, I told you off the microphone, I'll tell you now, I really loved Perks, both the book and the movie. Thanks, um, tone is so difficult in these movies. There's yes. It could so easily slip into sentimentality. So how do you maintain that? And is it in the script before it's on the screen? that tone that you're going for. It's somewhat in the script, but it's also, as any director will tell you, it's also in the the, the composer that you hire, and it's in mm-hmm. the DP you hire. Like, all these things, left, right, and center. Okay, it'll be in the script. It'll be in who you hire. But it's also in, you understand, when you film, you know, let's say you have seven takes. There's the take where, where someone gets all weepy, and there's the take mm-hmm. that they fight against the emotion. I'm always going to encourage the, the actor to have at least one of each. If it's a big moment, because I don't know in the, not in the, each tree individually, it can be anything, but in the forest of the whole thing, how to, 
show a moment of restraint and then a moment of, of, of true raw emotion. So that's how you do it. It's not, yeah, so it, to a degree it's in the script, but only to a degree. But that's, that's an interesting point, especially as it concerns wonder, and I think people will see this when they see the movie. The performances, again, this could have been a movie of the week. Yes. You know, it has that sort of... It could have been sentimentality almost inherent to the story yet all the performances are really restrained um they are fighting against the emotion i think owen wilson hasn't been this good in a decade like this was such a great performance such a warm performance yeah owen's terrific um julia roberts again such there's so much weight on that character yes but for her to not overplay it um i'm curious about here again hearing about that in the script, where they are, you know, they're saying sort of honest lines, right? They aren't talking around things very yeah. much. There's the usual, you know, smart subtext as a script is supposed to have. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious about, like, first creating those characters, or not necessarily creating, but translating those characters from the novel to the screenplay, and then getting those kinds of performances out of the actors. Well, the translation, you know, there were other screenwriters before me. Mm-hmm. Jack Thorne, uh, who wrote the Harry Potter play, he's terrific. And, and Stephen Conrad, who did The Pursuit of Happiness, he's a really talented guy. Yeah. So I had some good stuff. I had some, And plus, the, the, the novel by R.J. Palacio is, is, is fantastic. I don't know if you know it. The novel's fantastic. Oh, sure. And so what I did was, when I was doing my, my process as, as director, and I did a lot of writing, but I would say, okay, I kind of had a greatest hits. You know, I was like making a mixtape. That's how I, oh, wait, this is great, but no, I can use this line. And, and so how I approached each character was, did I feel on the page, did I understand who they were? What are, what are my, what's my prejudice against them before I know what's really going on? How can I use that with the audience to make people like, oh, may, oh that girl seems like a mean girl, or that kid seems like a mean kid, or, oh, he seems perfectly friendly. And I'm playing on stereotypes in this weird way because everyone's expecting the movie of the week stereotypes. But what's great about the book and what I try to do in the movie is, oh, you think it's that? No, it's actually over here. Mm-hmm. You know, and and by making that turn, it it kept it surprising emotionally. In terms of the performances, again, what what interests me? Is I, I have a, I have this built-in. I call it the cousin Chucky rule. Okay, here's the cousin Chucky rule. So I'm from Pittsburgh, like I said before. My cousin Chucky, he's a prison guard in a supermax prison in Eastern Pennsylvania. Okay, and he's a tough, no nonsense, non sentimental, you know, really tough guy. And we love each other. He's my first cousin. Like I, I guarantee, we haven't talked about. It. I guarantee you voted for Trump. And I guarantee you I didn't, okay? Now, but I love him and I respect him. So now, here we are, and whenever I do a movie in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, would Cousin Chucky respect this? Hmm. You know, would he roll his eyes? Because there's a part of being from Pittsburgh that you roll your eyes at sentimental stuff. Absolutely. So, I, I, I'm from Boston. I get it. Oh, get yeah, there you go. <laughs> you got it, too. There you go. So, so it's, it's that tough thing. So, so, I don't know. There's just something in working with the actors Maybe I'm conducting myself a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm not really interested. And, and I know that this person can cry. I know this person can do all these things. I'm interested in, in the true human being. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people know Julia Roberts as this international movie icon. And she is it. And she owns that. And she's incredible. She's a girl from Georgia, which I personally find far more interesting. Mm-hmm. Owen Wilson is an international movie star. He's a great comic icon, an Academy Award nominee. She's an Academy Award winner. Owen's a guy from Texas. 
You know, there was a movie, as we all know, called Bottle Rocket. And before Bottle Rocket, yeah. no one knew Owen Wilson, except Owen Wilson did. <laughs> right. And it's, there's something about the guy, you know, am I interested in, in the guy in yeah. Wedding Crashers or the father of the boy Ford, who's mm-hmm. a lovely kid? You know? Yeah, I think, and I really think that shows through, you know, you're really getting to the core of these people and therefore these characters. Yeah. And I think that was true of Perks of Being a Wallflower as well. Um, it's interesting watching both of them, uh, having now seen your second film, uh, or I guess technically your third film. Yeah, um, <laughs> But is that first, that, that post-student film, is that available anywhere? Can people find that? Not, no, it, it is not, <laughs> it's not available. Um, it will be someday. Good. You know, we have DVD to do... DVD extra on uh, one of these? No, no, no extra. <laughs> we'll do a release. Good. It's just transfers cost a lot of money, sure. and I have two children. Sure. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are. And you're embarrassed for them to see it. I get it. I'm not, no, I'm not even remotely embarrassed. <laughs> no, I've never met someone who's actually proud of their first film. Yeah. No, no look, like I, as I, I said, you, said I mean, to you earlier, yeah. look, you know, I made The Four Corners of Nowhere right out of college. I made it... When I started, I was writing it because of my friend Nick Danko from Pittsburgh made a Super 8 feature. And I was like, I want to make a Super 8 feature. You know what I mean? I'm so dating myself right now, and I don't <laughs> care. Super 8 feature. By the end of the first draft of the screenplay, I was like, oh, you know what? This could be – this is not Super 8. Let's, so I did Super 16. Mm-hmm. This is the back in the day of the mm-hmm. Duart optical blow-up. And so I did the whole you know, thing. We went to Sundance. I was in competition yeah. at Sundance. Hey, it, there's, you know, it was great. It got me my first agent, Jeff Robinoff, who later went on to great fame at, at Warner Brothers and beyond. And, um, and so, yeah, my, my joke is, like, half of it's great. <laughs> sure. You know, half Which of it's is, really good. pretty good. Yeah, and not I bad. Think, and we were talking about this before, but I think the big lesson here for people who want to enter this industry is – Look, you saw the opportunity to make a thing, to get a thing that you yes. were involved so, with so out often, into the world. So often, screenwriters who, so often screenwriters who, they, they they say the great sentence, and we all have said it. I've said it. God, I really hope this one gets made, mm-hmm. which is the most passive sentence in the world that you can say because it's up to other people, and it, that's so aggravating to me. I I, I did that dance for. 10, 15 years sure. after Four Corners. And then finally, after experiencing television a little bit, seeing, I, I did the screenplay for the movie Rent and seeing that get made, um, I just, I had to start doing it myself. Yeah. I had to. I, 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 I ran out of Bridesmaid. I had to do it. Yeah. And, and look, if that's the impetus, then great. And, yeah. you know, if people can get to that soon, and it's easier than ever to make yeah. your own thing. And by the way, before we run out of time, uh, remind me and I'll give my greatest advice I give to writers. Let's do it right now. You want to do it right I had, now? I had a question, but it was 10 minutes ago. No, so no, no. Do ahead. your question. No, no. We'll, we'll, <laughs> no, no, we'll no, do we'll... my fascinating history, sir, <laughs> and then I'll give the... We have right. to... Live, you know what I mean? <laughs> what a, yeah, yeah. Prove that you're someone who should give advice. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Um, the thing that I was going to get at, uh, that looking at these two films, at Perks of Being a Wallflower and Now Wonder, it seems like there is a style. I mean, you have... You have a point of view, certainly, and you have a tone, and it's you don't often see a, a director, especially a writer-director, doing these first couple of films that are so consistent in that style and that tone. Um, and, and again, in the honesty of the characters, have you been this way as a writer? Is this something that you had to sort of discover about yourself as a writer and as a director? It, it was something. It wasn't discover. It was admit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, when I, I made the bridesmaid point earlier, so I wrote the Perks of Being a Wallflower novel um, when I was pretty young. 
And that was the first time that my voice, I felt, like came the book. And meanwhile, I'm doing all these screenplays that are not quite right, and mm-hmm. I can't figure out why. And what I realized was I needed to see things through fru- to fruition. I had to do it myself. The only thing I had the opportunity to do up at, after Four Corners was um, was the, the Perks book. Mm-hmm. I didn't direct after that. So that was it. it yes, I, I, I do look at a certain tone that I'm going for and a certain point of view. A, I'm a, I'm a very optimistic person because why not? But, but I am from a pretty tough town and, and I wear that proudly. Uh, you know, I roll my eyes at, at the corny stuff like everybody. And at the same time, I personally find so much of the bleakness that's going on in art right now to be exhausting. You know, some of it's great. It's, it's undisputed gr- greatness happening. But some of it, I just feel like I, I say, are you making this movie? Are you doing this show for me? Are you even thinking about the audience at all? Mm-hmm. Um, or is this, this, is this your own exercise of just trying to exercise some demons? If it is, great. But, but I just, you know. But why am I involved? Yeah, why am I involved? <laughs> why do I got to pay money right. <laughs> you know, for your therapy? Um, but at the same time, look, so, so I am trying to do this tone. I'm trying mm-hmm. to... to change the world a little bit with art because the one thing I know I know from personal experience is these movies and these uh, shows they really in the books matter they -hmm. change lives in some cases they save them I know it. I could show you letters. Yeah. I have tons of letters from people. I'm sure you got it through, uh, you know, because you worked on Supernatural, you'd said before. <laughs> that is a beloved, beloved show. Yeah. And the people, it means something. Absolutely. So, yeah. Anything that you can, anything that touches someone, like if it's one person, if it's a million people, like that, that matters. It matters a lot. Um, I do wonder about, and I want to get back to this question of tone uh, and the, the optimism in these stories. Do you wonder about pushing it too far? Do you, do you, Ask yourself as you're creating these stories where the levels are. Yes. Because that's what makes a story, right? Uh, 100%. The, the ups and downs of it. I, I, I ask myself about the levels, you know, but I also know that if the fork, if I get to the fork in the road and I have to choose, I'm trying to avoid the fork mm-hmm. on every level if I can. But if I have to choose, I know ultimately who I'm going to pick. <laughs> so if I do the perks of being a wallflower um, and I come to a fork in the road and my choice is either like, I don't know, let's say a middle-aged critic, let's say, or the 15-year-old kid who's like, you know, who's, who's uh, from Youngstown, Ohio, who maybe feel all alone in the world, I have, there's no choice. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm just trying to avoid that fork if I can. Same thing with Wonder. You know, this, this is a book that is taught to fourth and fifth graders. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, every adult that I know that's ever read it loves the book. And I wanted to create create a family going movie experience that that would neglect nobody. It's like people look at Pixar. And it seems to like they're they're crushing this in, in the animated space. Everyone's doing a great job. It's like I remember in the eighties especially, there were so many movies that the whole family could go to that were genuinely great. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where the hell they went. Yeah. So I wanted to make one. Yeah, and, and that's, and it, and that's, that's what wonder a, is. That's absolutely what it is. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great description of it. Yeah, it's like I loved ET, and and yeah. I love Stand by Me, yeah. and I love the Goonies, and I love all these things. And so I was trying to uh, trying to you know pull that off. Yeah, and there's also something to I think you capture the genuine humor uh, that those movies you mentioned has, like mm-hmm. the the humor of people. 
Yes. Uh, without making jokes. Yeah. Uh, which, again, and I think that's partly in the book. Yeah, um, I think people but forget to bring that, that forward. I think people forget that penis breath was actually a line in E.T. <laughs> that's right. I mean, Spielberg's E.T. that we all remember. Yeah, yeah penis breath was like uttered by a, a child. And the, and again, it's this <laughs> thing of watching kids be kids and, yes. pe- you know, adults be adults. Uh, the Were there particular, and then I want to sort of move on to some other stuff, sure. but were there particular challenges to wonder uh, as a writer not, uh, or a storyteller? Yeah, there were. The, the thing about wonder, because it's a multiple point of view story, mm-hmm. and that's what makes the book so wonderful and what I was trying to capture in, in the movie. To make a movie that is simple enough for a fourth or fifth grader to understand, that is not so simple that mom and dad have checked out. Mm-hmm. You know, trust me, I go to a lot of live entertainment. I go to a lot of entertainment with my kids because I have a five and a two year old. Sure. And you you are so happy when Pixar delivered. You're so happy when Disney gets it right because because when that happens, oh thank that's two hours I don't have to like regret I just lost. Yeah. Um the kids are gonna love love it. But so that's what I'm trying to do is thread that needle mm-hmm. to find what is common ground for all generations, you know, including grandma and grandpa. Um, absolutely. Were there Wrong turns that you made along the way on Wonder that tipped too far one way or the other? No, uh, that, that's, you know, this was a healthy, this was a healthy, I'd done one adaptation with Perks. So when I sat down to write the screenplay, I, uh, you know, I had Jack Thorne, I had Steve Conrad, right. and I had R.J. Palacio. I had so much, I, uh, you know, so much was done. Yeah. And they're all terrific writers. So I just, I kind of picked and, ch- and chose. And then I drew from my own experience as a father um, and, and as a husband, seeing what my wife went through after we had our kids. And it took her five years to get back into being a staffer. She's a te- television mm-hmm. writer, Liz Macy. And, and everything that you see Julia Roberts go through is, it are things that I watched my wife go through. Hmm. So by making it personal and universal to me and seeing what her friends have gone through, and I thought, well, what a great opportunity. Not only can I show maybe adults, remind them what fourth and fifth graders are going through, I can show fourth and fifth graders, hey, guess what? When it was your first day of school, it was mom's first day of school too, and she's in an empty house. Now that you're yeah. paying attention to her a little bit more. And those things have power. Yeah. They really do. And and a little bit of empathy goes a long way. So so that's what I was trying to do. I think, yeah, I think empathy is the key word. And we've seen that from you as a filmmaker now in both films. Um, I want to talk about Perks of Being a Wallflower for a minute. Um, it seems like the impetus to write the book was this was a thing that you could do. It was a thing that you had control no, no. over. Ba- bad breakup, <laughs> mid twenty psychosis. But but go ahead, go with your theory. I, your theory is much more uh, user friendly. You're out here, right? You're out of. Uh, I was in New York City. Oh, okay. But, but you were you were working as a. I was yeah. I was, I was a working screenwriter. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for movies that were or were not getting made. We're not getting made. Right. So to be able to sit down and tell the story. Yes. Must have been an enormous thing for you. It, it, it was a catharsis. Because um, yeah. because when I was 12, you know, it's funny, I look back on moments of life that, that you realize that was a defining, defining moment. I'm 12 years old, and I say to my dad, uh, Dad, I want to be a writer. What I meant to say was novelist. And I said, a writer. And he said, oh, well, uh, great writers are great readers. And that's all he said, and then he walked away. It was like, it was like you know, I love my dad, but he can be cryptic sometimes. And by the way, the advice is great. It really is. It's terrific advice. <laughs> but I was like, but I, he knows I don't read. I'm 12, and I, <laughs> I play sports. And I said, well, 
you know what? Well, I yeah. read movies. I hmm. watch HBO. I see. I saw the movie Meatballs four hundred, tri- <laughs> you know, a uh, thousand times. So I said, okay, well, I read movies. I guess I'll write movies. That th- my 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 twelve year old logical brain said, okay, if he doesn't say that sentence to me, I don't know if I'm even here. I don't know if I'm doing That's any so of this. But what I found was, I was actually a born novelist. That's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But I trained in this other thing. Sure. So I have no training in being a novelist, all training in being a filmmaker, and now they're the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. I, I consider myself like a, you know, people say writer-director. It's more of like an author-director. Yeah. Well, let me ask you to take that apart a little bit. Okay. What, is, what does it mean to be a born novelist? How is that different to being a born screenwriter or a trained well, screenwriter? Novel, novel writing and directing movies are, are incredibly, they're, they're almost the same job in my mind. The sense of detail, the sense of tone, um, the pace, uh, character, characterization, how you let, get to know people. So all that's happening. And so well, here, repeat your question because it was actually really great. I've never been asked it before in my life. The difference life. between being a born novelist uh-huh. and a screenwriter, a trained screenwriter. Okay. When I sit down, when I sat down and wrote The Perks Being a Wallflower book... I had never taken a fiction writing class in my life. I had never, I didn't know what an epistolary novel was. I didn't even know the word epistolary. <laughs> I just said, you know, it'd be really interesting. I, I have, there are all these great first person narratives that I love, but where is the one? Okay, why am I reading this? And I just thought of this idea of these letters. Like, wouldn't that be a great way to just break down barriers between writer and reader? Okay. So I didn't know that was a particularly different idea. I didn't know that it was original. I didn't know that it was, uh, that it would have the power that it would. And that, that almost 20 years later now I would be asked who's dear friend. And I'm asked it all the time. Um, well, you're here to finally settle it. No, I, I, yes. Well, (laughs) I I have an answer. If you really want to know who dear friend is, I have an answer for you. But anyway, I found it, I found the experience to be, uh, very freeing and I'm writing my second novel now. And again, I haven't written a book in, in, almost 20 years and I think when people read it they're, they're going to be they're going to be very surprised that it, it just does things I've never seen I literally have never seen done on the page using the page almost in a mixed media way hmm. you know I don't want to give away anything but I, I'm very excited for people to, to do you have a release date for this next book nope sometime next year I would say sometime next year. Okay. At the very least, then sometime in, in uh, 2019. Okay. Um, I want to dig a little deeper on something you said, which is, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about two things here. Right? Yes. And one is form and one is content. Yes. Um, and, you know, to sort of discover that an epistolary, epistolary novel is the way to tell this story yes. is one thing. Um, and I think that does, you know, draw the reader closer. Um, but the story itself is another, and I think the story and the honesty with which it's told uh, can be a very difficult thing, and it's something that, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's easier to get to in a novel than it is in a screenplay. It is much easier to do in a novel. Right. Because you can go inside their brain. Sure. And that's, and voiceover's not the same thing. Right. You know, I, I've had voiceover in two films now, and voiceover yeah it's just it's not the same as a first person narrative yeah. because and the trick is and and I hope I hope I'm not getting too uh you know crafty with 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 the writing this talk this is why people listen okay is is voiceover is presentational it's still presentational mm-hmm. when you when you're reading a book you are the boss when you're watching a movie you're not 
And there's there's a there's a, a remarkable difference in the respect that you must pay to the reader to, versus to the audience. It's the same level of, of like human respect, but to know, wow, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna see. They're going to see, let's say, let's talk about Perks for a second. They're going to see, uh, I did not, okay, when I wrote that book, I didn't, I didn't describe anybody physically. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that Sam was pretty and had green eyes and that Charlie was small. Nothing else was, nothing else was said. So the person that you see in your brain is the person that it is for you. You are in charge and you're finishing the sentence for me. And that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a way to do that emotionally with a movie yeah. is, there's a trick to it. I, I think you played that trick in Wonder. It yep. feels like uh, the, well, I did in the first five minutes of Wonder, you get the voiceover yes. uh, from the kid, and then and, and there's a, a lot of his world before you see him. Absolutely, I uh, wanted to have really well done. Thank you. My my aim with the the opening was I wanted people to absolutely love this kid yeah. before you knew what he looked like. Mm-hmm. That was the whole aim. Um, it it absolutely works. Uh, and it was only, you don't realize it when you're in it either, no. which I'll say is that, that feels like the trick of it is you're just immersed in this yeah, world. Well, and this I, I know, what, you know, character. it's so funny. It's, that's the trick. And we can say that from a craft point of view, right. but from an artistic point of view, that's actually the magic and that's the art. Mm-hmm. It, and that's the, 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 the fundamental respect. If I, if I'm sitting there and I'm putting these images together and I'm putting the shots together and I wrote some of the, the lines and I kept some of the lines mm-hmm. because I, I don't have that much of an ego. Hey, Jack Thorne, great line. Hey, Steve Conrad, yeah. fantastic. Hey, RJ. So so is, if I'm putting this thing together, but I'm putting it together because I love this character. I want you to love him too. And by the way, I respect him and I respect your time. You know, we talk about a lot of... Well, I, I won't go off on that tangent, but all, all I'll say is, you know... Anybody, especially if, if you have two hours, and if you're going to give me two hours of your time, my only promise to anybody that's going to give two hours of the time is, is that I, I will make it worthwhile. Because mm-hmm. that, that to me is the, the only limited commodity we have in the world is time. It's not money, it's time. And uh, so I just want it to be great. And I don't want to manipulate, because we are using the word trick, but I'm right. trying to... And I know what you mean because yeah. I can see your well, eyes. We're talking and, about craft, exactly. right? And that and that's that's sort of the language yeah. of because I I do hate manipulation. Manipulation mm-hmm. I don't like. Well, and that's uh, that was a word that came up too as I was watching the movie and talking about it. Is there's a negative connotation to manipulation? Yes, right. Uh, but ET is emotionally manipulative. Great films can be emotionally manipulative. It means they're making you feel something in an honest way. Oh, okay. If that's what you mean, then sure. I mean, I th- and maybe it's not always in an honest way. I think yes. maybe that's where it gets the bad connotation. But in those instances, yeah. look, I think it, it is honest. Yes, uh, I, I guess you know maybe it's semantic because if if ET and Elliot are going up toward the moon, and if it's not John Williams going da na 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 right. You can call that art or you can call it manipulation <laughs> sure. or you can call it like, like the greatest composer who ever walked the face <laughs> of the earth. Whatever you want to call it, that's great. But yes, it, it is meant to, to evoke that sense of flight. Why? Because you really want people to feel like they're flying. Yeah. But again, you have great moments in Wonder that do this, which are like, and I said, uh, I said this on Twitter and I said it to you in person, like unabashedly I'm crying during this movie for two hours yes. uh, in these great peaks and valleys, but... You know, when you cut away to the kid in the spacesuit and he's high fiving everyone, like I'm getting chills thinking about it because right. it's it is an unabashedly emotional moment. Yes. Well, here l- let me I'll talk about that moment. So this is how that moment happened. You know what I mean? And I hope this yeah. is interesting to you. 
Okay. So we we get the stunt the stunt person who who did the thing for for all the uh, the, the jumping around mm-hmm. and the floating in space. Okay. And there were, I it was a woman actually. She was so sweet. I was like, I really like her. She's really cool. And I love the spacesuit. And I thought, can we? I just said to production, I don't know what it is. Can we just keep it around? I know it costs. I forgot what it costs <laughs> a week. I go. There's something about it that just feels right to me. Just keep it around because once they, you know, it was like it was a lot of money to transport it. So they said, right, what for? I go. I don't know yet, but I just have a feeling. So then I was, I was like thinking about this day four of shooting, and he's going to walk to school. I go. You know what? We've all seen the boy that walks to school. Or the girl that walks to school and feels all shy. So we all know that emotion. I don't know how to do that in a, in a, in a particularly original way. But you know what? I'm going to give me the spacesuit because he's just as isolated. Mm-hmm. He's just as um, it's the same emotion, but I'm doing it, you know, from the left side instead of from the right side. And what that allows is, and I found it far more emotional to watch him fantasize about being a hero. Yeah. Than by being any kind of a victim. Plus, in the cousin Chucky role of it all, he's not being a sad sack. Right. The person that's going to roll their eyes <laughs> at him in that moment, they're not rolling anymore. Yeah, and that buys me some. That buys me, and it buys the movie some goodwill because you know, look. Ultimately, the story is what the story is. But at every choice that I can possibly make to tell it a different way, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And it works. I mean, we've seen it two for two now. I think that's pretty good. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so we we were talking about uh, the content, uh, the story of Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's one thing to write honestly. It's one thing to sort of engage with the character and therefore engage the reader. Um, but the story itself... You were going through bad times? Yes. <laughs> Can you talk about that and why this became the story and why this became the catharsis? So if it did? It did. Um, you, know, you know, I was 26, uh, bad breakup, like everyone goes through bad breakup, and wrong rebound, as everyone has wrong rebound. And then it was a Saturday morning, and I will, I will say this, uh, Perks, I tried it as a novel before in college, didn't work. What, what aspect of it? Had you tried? Like, what did I you tried know to write a novel, and, and the only thing that came out of that novel were two things. One was the kid says, "I guess that's one of the perks of being a wall." I guess that's just the perks of being a wallflower. And I go, "Oh, that's a great title." Okay, yeah, and and also this bit about it's a wonderful life, and why wasn't it about Uncle Billy because he was a loser? And you know, George Bailey's great. Of course, his life is wonderful. <laughs> what about the you know what about the drunk uncle? And um, those were my two thoughts from that earlier incarnation. The thing is about the earlier incarnation was was that. Uh, it was angry. Hmm. And a little bit of anger is interesting, but I'm not an authentically angry person. Not that I don't have some, I have some, but it wasn't, I was like the wallflower, and I kept thinking about this kid. So anyway, I'm thinking about this kid for like five years, and, and I tried it as a screenplay a few times, didn't work. Meanwhile, I thought of this- Let me o- stop you there. Okay. What didn't work about it as a screenplay? I, I didn't know how to pull it off yet. Mm-hmm. Because again, this is a craft thing. You know, that's why you keep writing. Mm-hmm. I needed to write a, a couple of television pilots to understand how to introduce a character in 30 seconds that you identify with. That's, 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 that's the height of craft as far as, you know, that's, I had to learn that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know how to do it yet. Um, so I, anyway, I had this and then this other idea called Letters from a Friend where I was going to claim that some kid picked me out of a phone book and who's been writing me letters for, you know, the last 10 years. And these are the best letters. Um, 
So it was kind of like, you know, my attempt at, you know, uh, this is spinal. T- it was like. That's it, funny. Did you know the story of whatever that book was going to be? Or did you just have the no, sort of, again, I, I had, gimmick of it? This is all I had. I had that gimmick. Yeah. And then I had this thing. And then bad breakup. And the only thing I had was aunt, tunnel, Pittsburgh, two older friends. That's all I had. How did you, how were those the ingredients, though? Well, the ingredients is, but it's, it's how, now, now we're talking about the obsessive writer. <laughs> sure. You listen to that song, and mm-hmm. you think about that kid in the tunnel. And you listen to, you know, Asleep, and then it becomes all of my memories, like, you know, um, in college in Pittsburgh. You listen to this, you listen to that. You want to ask me about Morrissey someday? Ask me. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic to meet him. Anyway, um, uh, and it's just, I couldn't let it go. And it wouldn't let me go. It was this mm-hmm. thing. So bad breakup, bad rebound, Saturday morning. And I was either going to go crazy or write something. I had to get whatever this thing was out of my uh, out of my brain. And so I do it. And I remember sitting down, dear friend, I'm not I'm writing to you because she said that you listen and understand it. And, and the whole voice, all of it just poured out of me. And I was done with the first two letters that day. They're almost verbatim what is published. Wow. Uh, I was done with the first half of the novel in a month. Took five months off because I was going a little crazy. And then six weeks later, I had the first draft. The third is what is published. That was the one that just had to come. Mm-hmm. What I'll say to every writer out there um, who, who may be listening, uh, years, years, years later, because I thought, wow, Charlie's voice. Wow, Charlie's voice. Um, years later, I find some old journals from college, and Charlie's voice was me. <laughs> no idea. Sure. <laughs> I had no clue that that, you know, I thought I had to go and arrive at that versus, again, admit it. Sure. Well, and it's also, I mean, I guess this is, is sort of a deeper process question, but how, how self-aware are you when you're writing? Uh, what, what, are you, what are you digging up? How are you getting to that emotional honesty? I'm much more self-aware now than mm-hmm. I was then. Which I think is true of many first novels, right? It Without is, question. People have to write them. Yes. Yeah, they have to write them. And, and they come much easier mm-hmm. than, than the later ones. Um, now, I, I'm, not only am I aware of, of, of the, the demon I might be trying to exercise in myself, but I also know the audience that I'm writing for and what I hope the, for the story to say. Let, let's take a tangent, because I know we're here to talk about wonder uh, on a lot of levels. We're here to talk about everything. Oh, everything. But, you know, I, I, I co-wrote Beauty and the Beast for mm-hmm. Disney. And that was an experience where... where I didn't write, I barely wrote any of that for me. What I wrote, I wrote that for was for my little girl, Macy, because, you know, uh, long story short, but we, we, were, we were back east to help with a family tragedy. We were there for eight months. So I was, a, I was away from the business. I was away from my friends. And, and we were really just, we were just this little, you know, this little nuclear family in Summit, New Jersey. And I watched more Disney princess movies than you, I, you blow your mind. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And I'd seen them all like once, of course. Sure. Watching them with her, through her eyes, when I realized the power of those stories, I, I was like, I'm in. This is brilliant. Hmm. So when that job became available, I, I jumped at the chance to do it. Because how great, you know, will my daughter listen to me when I say X, Y, Z? Maybe not. But I can say, and I can say to her, and then by through to her, very personal to me, millions and millions of people, if the beast grabs you, don't cry in the corner, escape. <laughs> tie the bed sheets together or tie the dress together and get out. Yeah. That's all. Interesting. 
Um, I want to talk about the business side of that movie for a second. Go ahead. Um, were you, did you pitch on it? How did that work? How did you become involved? Um, I, I, I was given the previous draft by a very talented writer, Evan Spiliotopoulos, who, who, I'm, who I very proudly share credit with on the movie. Mm-hmm. And he came up with all these cool, like, new fantastical things to do it. Of course, I knew the original. Right. Um, and I just, I don't know, it was one of those moments where I read it and I go, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this. I know if you did X, Y, Z, it would get here clean. I just, from a craft point of view mm-hmm. and to a degree to, from an art point of view, I just, because I had just had an eight-month yeah. think tank about <laughs> how these movies work, I just fundamentally kind of understood what it needed. Mm-hmm. Do you find it easier? Oh, yeah. To answer your question, yeah. though, then you get on, I got on the phone with Bill Condon, David Hoberman, sure. Todd Lieberman, um, the producers, and they loved what I had to say. They bring me into Disney. I go in to meet with Tendo. He loved it, too. And uh, and then they hire me. Gotcha. Um, and was it a... a how, how was the process thereafter? Was it a quick process of rewriting? No, you work... When it, when it comes to Disney, this is... I, I actually love working for... I, I love working for Disney a lot because they, they, they know exactly who they are. Mm-hmm. You're hitting a target. And now... Don't get me wrong. They want you to challenge the target. They want you to come up with something left of center. Right. You're not just checking boxes. Oh, oh my God, no. Yeah. No, no, no. If you just check That's boxes, it's, it doesn't, right. it's not going to work. Um, and it's not going to work for them because you know, to their credit, you know, they know, I think they have a good sense of the cousin Chucky mm-hmm. of it all. Like yeah, they, they, don't, right. they don't want people to roll their eyes at their movies. They want to be very relevant, very beautiful movies. So ultimately, uh, yeah, you just work really hard for them. And I love that, though. I mean, that's like the, sure. the blue-collar work ethic that I was raised with. Okay, you need another draft? Okay, great. Done. Well, what? let's talk about process for a sec. When you're working on a screenplay, whether it's for your, you to direct or, or someone else, what does your day look like? How much writing are you getting done? How much do you have to get interrupted by meetings, by children, by everything? I, I try to arrive at the office somewhere at 9, 930. Okay. I, I, so you don't, you don't write at home? I don't write at which home, is, no. I, which I, I, separating it goes any, a long way. Oh, my God. It, it's <laughs> night and day. I, I, I wrote at home for years, and I, I became doubly productive once I stopped. Really? Just get out of it. No, because you have to – it's not about forcing yourself to write when you get there. It's forcing yourself to stop. Hmm. So, so the problem is a lot of wow. writers burn out because they're never off. Yeah. They're never off time, right? I, I, I thought point. I heard a, a, like a, a laugh in the back there. <laughs> yes. Um, well, that's true. I mean, when you're at home, there are no boundaries. There are no right? boundaries. And so this one, also having two kids – um, and a bunch of other responsibilities, you know, to me, I'm like, you know, if I'm not in the mood, who cares? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, this is it. You have these right. six hours go. It's like my, my, my grandfather was a steel worker and it's not like he woke up at eight and said, God, I, I really want to make steel today. <laughs> this is going to be so awesome. Right. You know, I, I can't wait to work for the man and I'm lose 12 pounds. To steel yeah. today. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm not, I don't want to make steel. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to feed my it. family today. So, so I have that, that Pittsburgh thing is, is, is a big part of how I work. Now, mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s, I waited for inspiration, sure. which is the biggest lie there is. Don't wait for it. Go, go find it. Yeah. Don't, let, don't let the movie get made. Make it. Well, and so much of that is habit, right? Is you just have to do it until it doesn't feel like yes. it's something you have to do. Yes. Well, I, I also figured out something. I, I, did a, I did a training exercise. After I did the show Jericho, and after I was done with Jericho, I was trying to re- uh, train my brain to not be afraid you know uh, like I don't know how to even put it 
writers are the greatest procrastinators of any human beings I've ever met, including myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I did a thing about time management where I sat down and I measured, to whatever degree, minutes, hours. How am I actually spending my week? When I figured out that I had cleaned records for 13 hours that week <laughs> and wrote for half an hour, I was like, yeah. okay, so great. At least I have something I've measured. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to write for an hour. Mm-hmm. I was out of records. I had nothing to clean. <laughs> I'm going to write for an hour. Next day, hour 15. Next day, hour 20. Next day, hour th- whatever. Mm-hmm. Until I got to eight, and I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like training for a marathon. I was going to say, it's, it's that couch to 5K, right? Yeah. It's you do a little bit, a yeah. little bit, a but, little but, bit. But it was very important, though, and this is for anybody out listening to us who is, who is uh, experiencing writer's block. I believe that writer's block is probably the biggest lie there ever was. All writer's block is is you're editing too fast. Hmm. And if you can, you can retrain your brain to not think about it in terms of, I only got to 500 words or I only got to, no. Did you honestly sit down, turn off, by the way, turn off the email, right. turn off the buzzers, just turn them off. And, you know, don't, don't go and research again. No, turn it off. If, did you honestly sit there for an hour, if that's what you did today, and then tomorrow or next week, an hour 15 mm-hmm. or whatever? Did you really do it? Then you won today. Yeah. You have to say, I won today. Because if you don't, eventually it just becomes, oh, I'm never going to win. And what's the point? If you're going to feel bad at the end of every working day, you know, right. th- then you've trained yourself <laughs> to feel terrible for the rest of your life. Right. So it's like, look, you know, TikTok, this is the time you have. If this is the time you have, you may as well spend it feeling good. Uh, as you're working on your second novel, and again, that, that first novel is uh, sort of a unicorn, right? Like that, that happens for people. Yes. Uh, that seems like the way it happened for you. As you're working on the second novel, did you have to retrain yourself to turn off the internal editor? Yeah, to a degree. Um, but I also use it in a different way. You know how, uh, let's say, like Second City or improv groups, they'll improv and then they'll mm-hmm. take the best bits and that kind of thing. Sometimes, I did this on Beauty and the Beast as well, rather than going, I have to write this scene, I go, no, I have to write a scene. Let me write it four ways. Hmm. Or let me write this little couplet four ways. And I don't know. I don't know which is best. Then I'll, I'll bring it home. Hey, Liz, uh, which one do you think? That one. Really? Hmm. Why? Articulate response. <laughs> uh, you know, she's right. the best. Articulate response. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, now I see through your eyes. Hmm. So I'm not, again, I'm letting other people be the editor. Um, and it's not like I always do everything that she says, although I do. Um, it, it's that, It's that. to me, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. And if I have the ability to just improv and come up with a bunch of different ways of doing it, then may as well use that skill. Is there, it seems like there's such a wildly different process between novel writing, which which isn't always collaborative, though it sounds like you've built in some collaboration to it, and writing and directing film, which is Oh, oh I'm sorry. I was thinking about Beauty and the Beast. Novels is, is slightly different. Yeah. Um, what I used for novels was the improv was, let's just say I have these, you know, because again, mm-hmm. I, it, you know, my, my new book is my tribute to Stephen King, who's, who's I, just, I just love him. And, and I'm thinking about Oh, here's this image. Oh, I wonder what that means. And I'm just exploring. I'm following. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of following where it goes. And I'm not judging where it goes. I'm just trying to. And, and I'm hoping that if I get to the point and I've surprised myself, then most likely I've probably surprised the reader as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but, I, but I cut off your question. It's, I don't remember what my question was. Okay. Oh, it was about the collaborative uh, uh, effort in each of these different forms. Right. And what is gained and what is lost? 
Well, I think what is gained is you're encouraging more communication. You know, I'm not making whatever I'm doing my own exercise for myself. Right. You know, I and I find it's bringing me closer to people over the years. And again, that's why perks. It this thing I'm talking about happened very naturally, very organically. And for years after that, it wasn't happening, and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Then I realized actually, I rather love people. I I I want people to do well. I genuinely do. I don't I don't I don't find a lot of pleasure in watching people's downfalls or watching people be in pain. Okay. So what I'm trying to do now is, so let's say people come up to me over the years and they have for years now and say, Oh, it's like, you really understand me. I go, okay, thank you. But that means you understand me. Mm -hmm. That's the dance. And that's the respect fundamentally. So that is what is gained. What is lost is nothing because it's not like, like I said, I mean, I made a joke earlier, but ultimately I'm the author or I'm the director. I have to make these decisions or I'm the screenwriter, Mm -hmm. you know, the buck has to stop somewhere. And let's say there's a tie half the room goes, no, I don't have that. And half the room says, uh, you know, um, then I go, all right, what do I really think? Yeah. Okay. Well then that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And you have to have that decision has to be made. Yeah. And I have no problems making it. Yeah. And I have no problems being wrong because what's great is if you have great producers like I do in David and Todd, um, if you have uh, a supportive studio or, you know, and I'm not, blowing smoke I mean Mm -hmm. if you have support and smart people around you for the most part we all there's a cool checks and balances going on and and you come up with something great as you've seen you've worked in television you know when the room is good and it's really serving you and you know when the notes are smart and when they're not right right? and the thing is isn't it what I what I'm so grateful in my position now is I don't have to listen to bad notes anymore (laughs) you know what I mean but but I make sure that I really really appreciate the good ones yeah well, and say it's it a good loud. attitude. Um, let me ask you, I'm curious about this. I talked to a couple of other um, novelists who adapted their own material to mm-hmm. the screen. Um, you've already told that story. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, what What are you getting from it to tell it in a different way? You, you, well, for me with Perks, it was... Look, I, I mean, to be very candid with you, artistically speaking, I was backed into a corner. I had I I was I tried everything that I could. I like I said I wrote the screenplay for Rent, and I, I love what Chris Columbus did did with the movie. He's a lovely person. He's like come to set. I learned a lot from mm-hmm. him. It was not ultimately a satisfying experience for me artistically because I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I did the show Jericho. I wrote the pilot, and I was very proud, and I was very proud to co-create that show. And I I worked on it, and it just there's just there's this completion that I it's like I never got to do it. So I finally I find myself I I had a fine career. But I'm like, but I wasn't terribly fulfilled. And I said, I have to, I have to take a risk now. I have to admit, using that word again, I have one thing that I know this town will make. They, I know I can adapt perks. That's funny. Um, it started like that. And also from seeing the movie once and thinking, God, they made that for 150 grand. Hmm. It's so great. Why don't I do, like, that's what I should be doing. Why am I, you know, it was, right. it was a real... Uh, you know, it was a real moment. Moment of um, it was a real crossroads that's, for me. That's really interesting. So, so on some level, it was practical. But here's what's funny: you think it's practical, but it's not. It's actually one of the most important spiritual decisions you've ever made in your life. Because what I didn't know is a lot of the things the book is about, a lot of the personal things it's about, not just the bad stuff that happened, but like a lot of just what that time represented. I needed to go back again. 
And trust me, there were some times like, why the hell am I doing my first novel twice? <laughs> sure. Um, but here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you ultimately what, what it meant for me. Um, one was, here, real answer. One's altruistic, one's not. Here's the altruistic one. I knew that if I made the movie, that because I'd gotten a lot of letters from kids who found my book, um, who you know, didn't kill themselves because they read it. You know, and th- those are very sobering letters to get. You realize the power of this story. I said, okay, if I make a movie, I'll, I will probably, the movie, by, the, the, hmm. by it will sell more books. It will get mm-hmm. out there. It, the story will change lives for the better. So that's altruistic, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Now selfish. Selfish is, if I, if I do, let's say Charlie's Breakdown that he had. Okay, and then people that know the movie know the, the three Charlies on the street. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I do the, that, now as anyone that's made uh, a, a film knows, that's that's that exists on about nine levels. You have to you have to. There's the book. You write it. You write the screenplay. You edit it over and over. You shoot it. Sure. You listen to producers on set going, "Hey, why don't you have the ant look in the camera?" You know, like right. other other things are like you're taking in feedback. You 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 test screen it over and over, right? Not test screening, but you're just right. cutting over and over and over again. The music changes. I need a little bit more bass to make. Mm-hmm. So anyway, what happened was I filmed a, an anxiety attack, and I edited an anxiety attack, and I. Uh, you know, I encouraged Michael Brook in my way to score an anxiety attack, and then when the movie was over, and I did, and I watched that, experienced it a hundred times. I never had another anxiety attack in my life. <laughs> I burned it out because right? what I realized was by putting it up on That's the screen funny. and in the soundtrack, I'm still doing that anyway. If you have an anxiety attack in your real life. You're supplying all the pictures, all the thoughts, <laughs> right. all the emotions, etc. By breaking it down by its size. And I didn't know until the movie was done that that's why I personally, Stephen Jabowski, had to make the movie. Interesting. Selfishly. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine you're going to gain something from everything you make in, yes. that, in that way. Um, we do have to start to wrap up, but I want to okay. ask you, do you have one piece of great advice to offer? To I, I do have a, one piece of great advice. Here it is. It's a four-step process. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm paid a lot of money at writers' <laughs> conferences to give this. I give it to you free, sir. Here Love it is. It. Um, okay. Step one, write down every idea you have. And, and it, when I say every idea, I mean every. People, they, they game this. Like, mm-hmm. no, it has to be. If it's one line, I, I want to do a movie like The Goonies. You have to write it down. If, it, if it's a paragraph, a page, it, okay. Write down every idea you have, every single one. Okay. Step one. Step two, register it. With the Writers Guild of America East. Why the East? And WGA East.org. Why? Because you get 10 years for the price of five. No offense, West. You're <laughs> great. Right? Yeah, yeah. You get 10 years. Because you can't copyright ideas, but you can, you know, you can yeah, register, you can register them. You give it to no less than three, but no more than 10 friends whose taste you trust, who want you to succeed. No frenemies, no jealous jerks, none of that. Okay? That's step three. Give it to those people. Step four, listen. So this is what's going to happen. What I've noticed in all of my time writing and, and encouraging my friends, all, all, most of whom are, are either writers or actors, is talent is not a, remotely the same thing as taste. There's talent, there's taste. And what I say is, okay, I forget what year, the year is 1946, okay? And um, the, the year's 1946 and there's a writer. And he's got a closet full of ideas. He doesn't know that he's going to die in four years. He has one more book in him 
And are they, I might be getting this slightly wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you, you can figure this out. Um, that person could have chosen anything. He was only in his 40s, but this is the last book, right? And aren't you glad that um, uh, uh, George Orwell wrote 1984, right. right? You saw it coming? Not that specifically, but yes. yeah, I mean, this is a conversation my writing partner and I have all the time. Is yes. Look, we have 100 years of ideas and we have 50 years to execute. That's them. right. So what I encourage people to do is just listen to each other. It's not, it's not like selling out because they're all your ideas. Absolutely. And if you go, okay, so this is what happens. Let's, I wish we had a visual thing, but let's just say, <laughs> here, I have coffee in my right hand and I have an Arrowhead water in my left. No offense, Arrowhead, you're about to be the, okay. <laughs> Most writers I know, they go, my, my God, isn't Arrowhead water the best idea I've ever had? Isn't that the best? Best. And let's say you show it to five people, and five, four out of five go, no, actually, I like, I like uh, the coffee. You're kidding. Why? And then you start to have a conversation. Huh. And they say, look, I actually don't like Arrowhead water at all. I like coffee, but Arrowhead water has that great father character. Why don't you use that for coffee? Next thing you know, what happens is your best ideas get your best characters, mm-hmm. and, and your themes are revealed to you. Uh, not only that... Um, the reason why you have to say like, you know, the line about, I want to do my version of the Goonies is let's say you have this, uh, this really fun idea that doesn't have a way in, doesn't have a hook, doesn't have whatever. And someone very smart in your, in your crew says, Hey, why don't you, you know, that that spy idea, that adventure idea, why don't you filter that through that? And that's how stranger things is born. Mm -hmm. All these great ideas. And the reason why I, I offer this, this four point thing is, is, just as a person that loves movies, loves books, loves television, um, people say all the time that a great movie is, is, is an accident, right? Or it's a miracle. Right. Or a great show is an accident. I was like, well, wouldn't it be great if all of us would be writing our best ideas? Right. It's just going to elevate the whole game. And that's all I want as, as an audience member, as someone that loves these things. So that is my four-point plan. And I will tell <laughs> this... Um, uh, my, do we have to wrap up? I'll stop. We do have to wrap up, but go ahead. Well, basically, I had an assistant, Ava Delira. I said to Ava, this is my four-point plan. She said, all right, I'll try it. She had all these ideas. She came to Hollywood to be a screenwriter like everybody. And I said, I actually have all your ideas. I like your novel idea the best. And she's like, you're kidding. And then my wife said the same thing. And then her boyfriend at the time said the same thing. And everyone said that idea. Huh. She's like, you're kidding. All right, well, <laughs> let me just listen to everyone and let me write it. So she did. And she sold it. And it's, it's like a bestseller in South America. Fantastic. And she sold it to the movies. And now I don't have an assistant. Actually, I do. I've replaced her <laughs> since. she's moved on. She's moved on. So that's how it works. <laughs> and, really and, and to all of your listeners, I, I want nothing but their success. Absolutely. That's, that's really nice to hear uh, from someone who has found his own. Uh, the movie comes out the 17th of November. November 17th. Called Wonder. Wonder. Um, people should check it out, uh, especially families. I think that's, that's really a great selling point to this film is... Uh, not just that it's a great watch and it's funny and it's sad and all of the things you want yes. a story to be, but it's a great yeah. film. For well, look, all the movies that I grew up loving, you know, I wanted yeah. to make one and I got to. Yeah. Uh, let me just, before we wrap up completely, ask you what movies you have seen lately that you really love or what TV are you watching that's getting you inspired? What books have you read lately that you love? Anything you want to recommend to people? Uh, that's a great one. Um, I thought it was terrific. I really liked it a lot, um, especially the human stories of it. I thought that was great. Uh, I thought that Get Out was fantastic, like truly yeah. remarkably original and very unexpected, mm-hmm. um, you know. And God, wow, you, you, you floored me. I'm trying to think. I love Le- Leah Remini's show. 
<laughs> it's really good. It's really good. It's very sad, but it's very good. Yeah, but it's riveting. It is riveting. Um, and uh, um, in terms of, oh, you know what? I've actually gone, I don't, don't ex- I couldn't explain it in a million years. I have been just on a classic dystopian kick all year. Uh, I can't imagine why. You know, there you go. <laughs> Very funny. You know, I started. I started uh, reading 1984 before all that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, before it started becoming like <laughs> before we started living in it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I was reading it. Uh, so I've read 1984 and uh, Clockwork Orange. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, way to invent your own language. Well, well done, Anthony yeah. Burgess. Um, so yeah, I kind of what's old is new again for me right now. Yeah. I, I'm really, really into it, and I really like that Spielberg documentary on HBO. That was I heard it's great. That was I very inspiring. It. Yeah, uh, good answers, uh, thank Stephen. You. Thank you for being here. Thank you, sir. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 